2013 is almost over, and we're going to wrap it up for you. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show on this New Year's Eve day. I'm Matt Copenheffer. Right here next to me is David Hansen. David, are you excited for New Year's Eve? Are you excited for the new year? I am. 2014. Sounds good. So much, so much opportunity. 13. So much to look ahead for. 13's an unlucky number. Thir- 13 is an unlucky number. Are you, do you believe in that superstition? I don't, but you know what? I had a flight on Friday the 13th in December, mm. and I wasn't crazy about that. I wasn't yeah. crazy about the idea of flying on Friday the 13th. Let's go ahead and, and jump right into it here. 2013, we're looking back at the year. We're looking back at what went on, specifically within the financial sector, of course. But overall... Big theme of the year, overvalued market. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, that starting, starting out the year, it, even from the very beginning, I think people were saying that the market is hot. But the, the S&P went up almost 28% this year, around 28% this year. And uh, towards the end of the year in particular, again and again, we've been bombarded with multiples are high. The Case Shiller or the the, uh, the Shiller valuation, mm-hmm. the, the Cape valuation. Sorry if I can get that out. Uh, that's looking high. Is this something to worry about? No. Going into 2014. No. Maybe it's overvalued. Maybe it's undervalued. But I think it reinforces the fact that it's very dangerous trying to time the market. If you would have thought at the beginning of the year it's a little overvalued, I'm going to pull all my money out of the the S and P. It seems dangerous. You would have missed out on this rally. And even if the market falls 20% next year, which would be pretty darn significant, you would still be positive for the last two years. So I think, I think it highlights you can't try to time these things. Even if it's slightly overvalued, it may move to overvalued. And then it could move to very overvalued. And even if there's a big market pullback, it's dangerous that you could miss out on these runs. So I think if you're an indexer, you stay invested. You don't try to dance in and out. Even if you're a stock picker and you, and you buy the index funds as well, don't try to jump in and out of those. The, because it's been such a broad theme, because we've heard so much about it, it's almost it's like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that the, the loudest voices, the biggest themes, are going to get proven wrong. Mm-hmm. If everybody is out there saying this is an overvalued market, it's quite likely that there, isn't, there are a lot of people staying on the sidelines, being a little tepid, that, that aren't going to push, that, that haven't pushed the market even higher yet. Um, and one of the things that the market is great for is making people feel silly. And when people are saying the market's overvalued, just like you said, it has a way of going even more overvalued and going even more overvalued than that. I'm not saying that we want to be necessarily excited about investing in costly, in, in, uh, on, from a value perspective, costly markets. Um, but... I wouldn't say jump in or jump out based on media headlines that the market is overvalued. And you talk about the media. I guess we're kind of the media, and we make fun of CNBC people sometimes that say, the market's overvalued. Now is not the time for stocks. lamestream media. you you got to realize the people talking on TV, writing blogs, they're a small percentage of kind of the overall investing community. Not every fund manager is out there talking about what they think about the market. So just because someone's on TV talking about it doesn't mean that they're the voice for everyone and they, everyone agrees with them that stuff's overvalued. So just be aware of that. Maybe t- tune it down a little bit. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the top headlines from the year. Yes. And I think one of the ones that we've got to pick out from the very beginning of the year, 
Berkshire Hathaway making a big historic purchase. Mm-hmm. Historic, not just because it was big, but also because there's ketchup involved. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> it was historic because it was a it was a, a team deal mm. with three with three G Capital. This is something that we haven't really seen uh, Berkshire do in one of these big buys before that I can remember. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not thinking of something, but that was pretty unusual for for Buffett and Berkshire to do that. And the reason for it was uh, it's what the. It sounds like 3G brought the deal basically to Buffett and said, we'd like to do this deal and we'd like you to do it with us. Uh, Buffett is pals with the guys over at 3G, so uh, ended up ended up going through. And it was a sweet deal for, for Berkshire. What, they got 50% equity stake in the company and I think they get a 8 9% coupon? Yes. Yes. Is, is that eight or, I can't remember the exact As amount it, they were getting, but their preferred stake gave them... Uh, kind of a nice dividend along with it. Right. And I think another big theme when this when the deal was announced, another big theme around uh, this deal was, and this goes back to our overall theme, that Buffett was paying too much for Heinz, mm-hmm. that this was an overvalued purchase. Um, and, and I think this was a good reminder of the fact that Buffett is not a cigar butt Ben Graham type of investor. And if you look at the P.E. ratios, the straight P.E. ratios of the stocks that he's buying, or in the case of the banks that he's buying, the price-to-book value, you're going to find that he's not buying the cheapest stocks out there. Mm-hmm. There are cheaper stocks in the same industries that he's buying in, but he's focused on quality. Yep. And part of that is that quality plays out over time. I mean, particularly when you look at a, a bank like Wells Fargo, not the cheapest bank out there, but look at the results that is provided over time by being one of the best operators in the space. U.S. Bancorp as well. That valuation scares off a lot of people. That's a bank that Buffett's been adding to throughout the year, despite that it's more expensive than a, a Citigroup or a Bank of America. So Berkshire buying Heinz. Uh, what, what was the next big headline of the year? Big headline, just a month later in March, we had the Fed stress tests. All the banks submit their proposals. Hey, this is what we think is going to happen. And you also have uh, the, the tests that determine whether banks can pay dividends and do share buybacks. And the results were... Pretty po- <laughs> oh, I, for- I forgot about the little ding. The music. Uh, pretty positive. Uh, there were some some issues with some of the proposals. I think it was J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. They didn't get objected to, but they had to kind of fix some things with their proposals. But this their planning marked, process. There were multiple banks that, that got big bumps in, in their dividend. Their capital ratios looked good. And I think going forward in 2014, that's something we can continue to expect. These capital ratios have gotten to very strong levels. Mm-hmm. They're in a position where they can maintain those capital levels and bump up the dividend. So I think we should continue to expect more dividends to come from banks. Every bank passed the test except for Ally Financial. And Ally Financial was actually pretty heated about th- the way the testing process went and wasn't happy with how their results were characterized. That, that's, that's significant. That's good. And if uh, listeners remember back to uh, 2012, Citigroup in its planning failed. And that was that was one of the big knocks against Vikram Pandit, because Vikram Pandit was promising a dividend, a bigger dividend for city shareholders, and uh, and that backfired. And it was it was the opposite story this year with Citigroup in 2013. Before banks even had to say what they asked for, Michael Corbett came out and said, "Hey, we're not asking for a dividend. Don't expect anything. We're staying conservative. We're going to build capital. We don't care about dividends yet. Maybe that'll change in 2014." That's probably a good idea. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, so all the banks passed except for Ally. Like you said, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, they passed, but they were asked to, to tweak their planning process. It was just recently that they finally got fully approved by the Fed. That actually, I think, bodes pretty well going into the 2014 planning process that they're all set now. I think, I think the stress test will become a little bit more of a formality in the next couple of years. The first couple of years, everyone's better like, or worse. oh, who's going to pass? What does it look like? I think people will start to say, we know everyone's going to pass. It's fine. Uh, the other the other one to point out, Bank of America did not boost its dividend, but was approved for a big share buyback, which I think, given where the stock is trading, is probably a good use of capital yep. for the bank. Next headline, uh, we are going with J.P. Morgan's legal woes. The whole basket of them. A lot of woes. A lot of uh, woes. Continue to see fallout from... The London Whale, even though that happened in 2012, that came into 2013 as there was the kind of the commission investigation around what exactly happened. That didn't exactly put the bank in a good light. Uh, Then you had the presidential task force dealing with mortgage-backed securities, Fannie and Freddie settlements. So pretty big legal bill for J.P. Morgan, pretty ugly. Should be wrapping most of that up. The presidential task force, they were kind of the first big bank to get that in front of them. So... At least they have that out of their way. That might be coming down the pike for a Bank of America. but For yeah. a Bank of America among the multiple Bank of America? The Bank of America. The Bank of America. Um, it's like the Ohio State Bank. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty ugly year, but still was very profitable, which is points to how powerful the, the, the earnings engine here is at, at J.P. Morgan, still busting out billions in profits despite paying out all this. I think that's a good point. There was, of course, there was the $13 billion. And, you know, I... I this whole historical settlement, historic settlement thing, $13 billion, it was actually a collection of multiple different settlements really baked in there. So it's not that J.P. Morgan had this much bigger settlement than everybody else. It's that a bunch of stuff was lumped together, made and for it, one. And a lot of it's tax giant. deductible, so it's really going to come out to around $9 billion, So The bank did have to boost its legal reserves. But like you said, I, I, think, I think a good point there, like you said, that uh, still very, very profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the past 12 12 months, even if we include the boost in legal reserves, 9% return on equity, which is pretty impressive in this environment, if you back out those legal reserves, the boost in legal reserves, you're looking at like a 12 and a half, something around a 12 and a half percent return on equity. It wasn't just the $13 billion uh, settlement, though. There was also that the energy trading mm-hmm. uh, issue. There was the, the Madoff settlement towards the end of the year. There's also, we, we haven't really heard the end of this yet, but the allegations of uh, the, the hiring, the, the sort of nepotism, Chinese yes. hiring thing that uh, we still haven't, that hasn't been wrapped up. But by the time the Madoff issue came around and was settled, by that point, Jamie Dimon, some of the quotes that we heard from him, it just... He just sounds so beaten down at this point. He just he wants He's like just take it, and leave me alone. <laughs> He's just like opening the vaults at J.P. Morgan. Go ahead, take the rest of our money. Not that he cares. It's not really his money. It's well, shareholders' money. Well, he's got a big chunk of change invested in the company. Not a, maybe a significant ownership percentage, right. but uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of his net worth tied up in J.P. Morgan. So he's probably a little bit upset. All right, final top headline of 2013, David. You know I couldn't leave it out. The taper. I know. You love the Federal Reserve. You love the taper talk. I love trading around the taper. <laughs> That's how I play the taper. Uh, what's, your, mortgage, what's your play on this? Mortgage REITs. Uh, they were not fans of the 
taper talk. And even though, when I say the taper, I'm more referring to the speculation in terms of when they would taper and the, the big jump we saw in interest rates in the summertime, mortgage rates kind of marked the end of their three-year bull This is what run. they did. Yes. Across the board, basically. Uh, had a great time from 2009 to basically middle of 2012, taking advantage of low rates and still investing in, in higher-yielding securities. That has come to an end for most of them, trading below book value, well below book value now. Um, so, yeah, ugly year for, for mortgage rates. Maybe it turns around. I think it's going, going to be a hard road going forward. It's not going to be the easy days of 2010 for them anymore. Um, but, yeah, that's, that was a big headline. The good managers in that space, though, I think are still potentially worth backing. Mm-hmm. I know you're you're still invested in Annalee, and yes. I haven't heard you talking about that you're about to sell Annalee. It's a long-term holding, right? I'm so. not. The, the, in, the industry is not going away. They're a major player in the market. They've been through interest rate cycles before, so they're here to stay. Some of them maybe it's actually up, It's actually up. potentially an industry, given the changes in the mortgage market and the, the regulatory changes in the banking market, that stands to expand, if anything, uh, because they're sort of part of that shadow non-banking system now, mm-hmm. could, could, which could end up coming under regulatory scrutiny itself at some point, mm-hmm. but for now, um, could it even become a, a more important part of the market? I think it's possible that these stocks trade at bigger discounts to book. Anything's possible. There could be some spikes in the interest rate environment, but I have a hard time uh, seeing them trade at huge discounts, 40% discount to, to book. They're usually around 20% right now. Um, so maybe the worst is over. Annalee trades down to 25% uh, 25% off book value, ta- uh, tangible book value. Mm-hmm. Do you add to your position? Potentially. I, I wouldn't play that. I wouldn't make the decision based on that. I wouldn't make it in isolation. There would have to be some considerations in terms of why that's happening. Uh, if you're comfortable with where the management team says they're taking it and why kind of that's happening, if it's because they changed their portfolio and you're comfortable with that, then... I'd consider adding. Okay, biggest shock of the year. Biggest shock of 2013. What are we saying? It's got to be Fannie and Freddie, right? Which were up? The the shares of Fannie and Freddie. Maybe the businesses too. Um, More so the shares. The shares up around 1,000%. Yes, very happy for those shareholders that... That were in before. before. Mm -hmm. And and what's it... I'm actually curious that it's... I wonder how many of the shareholders have jumped on board since a lot of that gain. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you're right; the business has turned around. Now that there are some, there are some parts of that where it's it's difficult to project out into the future that this is going to continue. There was uh, one of the quarters was a giant uh, a tax issue yeah. that was added what fifty eight billion or was, was fifty eight billion? <laughs> yeah, it was in the tens of billions that that a tax. We're not going to see that repeat. The other thing is, is that a lot of the reserves that Fannie and Freddie have been keeping against bad mortgages, they're reversing those. So that's that is good for now, um, but it's not something that we're going to. That's not a normal course of the business. Normally, they're actually mm-hmm. going to have to set aside for reserves. Um, but in the meantime, we've continued to hear. We, we've we heard multiple plans come out this year for for restructuring the mortgage market and winding down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, and meanwhile, there are, are groups of private investors that continue to bet on the shares, mostly the preferred shares. But in, in those cases, we've seen legal challenges, challenging the fact that the government right now is essentially sweeping all of the profits of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and hanging on to them. So 
we had that legal challenge. And then we had, um, we had a proposal towards the end of the year from Bruce Berkowitz yep. uh, trying to roll the, the private company back out onto the market. Yeah, I think if you're an investor and you did have huge gains, if you made 1,000% on either Fannie or, or Freddie this year, great. That's awesome for you. I mean, <laughs> yes, that is you don't, great. You don't see that every year. You don't see that often where you get an annual return of 1,000%. But I would just urge anyone who, who has to realize the, the element of luck that may have played in here and kind of the chance of, of what happened here. Great for you. I mean, give you a round of applause if you achieved achieve this, but understand kind of the elements of, wow, it's a long applause. <laughs> really long. This is a standing ovation, ovation for you if you gained 1,000%, but realize kind of everything that had to happen for you to achieve those returns. It's not guaranteed that that continues. So just well, be aware of the, the scenario. Not even not guaranteed. I, that's, I'll put it at, that's not going to happen again next year. But as, as far as people hanging on to the common, and, and we ca- talk mostly about the common shares here, as far as hanging on to the common shares or getting rid of them, uh, you know, uh, people have been, let's say the investors in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have been very opinionated, very strongly opinionated in terms of the stuff that we say on this show. I continue to, to say that, that I follow uh, Buffett's advice that there are no called strikes in investing. And I look at this situation, I look at the president and Congress agreeing on something, and that's that they want to restructure the mortgage market and wind down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And for that reason, I'm saying there's too big of a risk of, of a zero outcome here. Um, so it's a potential one to take a flyer on, but this is definitely one that I'm passing on. Big shock. <laughs> big shock. Oh, oh, yeah, it was our, it was our big shock. All right, and ra- rounding out with our, our favorite CEOs of the year, the best CEOs of the year, who do you have? Best CEO of the year or just CEO of the year? C- fine. I did CEO, CEO of the year. You nice. know, Time Magazine, they don't always do the best person of the year, but it's just person of the year. Uh, and I'm going with Jamie <laughs> yeah, Dimon. It, wasn't it Hitler one time? It may have speaking been. Of, <laughs> speaking of who you're... Not, not comparing Jamie Dimon to Hitler, but I'm going, are with, you? going with Jamie Dimon, CEO of the year, because of everything that he did, right or wrong, he was just the CEO of the year. I think he kind of personified a lot of things that people like and dislike about big Wall Street banks. Said a lot of interesting things, did a lot of interesting things, made a lot of history this year. So he's, he's my CEO of the year. All right. My CEO of the year, I'm going to start off by giving him a round of applause. Okay. A long round of applause for Michael Corbat. Michael Corbat, the CEO of Citigroup. He took over in October uh, of 2012. Uh, this is replacing Vikram Pandit, kind of brought in in a coup with the, with the relatively new chairman of, of Citigroup, uh, Mike O'Neill. At the end of 2012, and this is, this is how I look at uh, Corbat between, uh, f- for basically the first year that he's been CEO. At the end of 2012, Citigroup's price to tangible book value multiple was 0.75. Mm-hmm. At the end of 2013, it was 0.95. We did have a good year on the market this year, so that helped. But I think this number shows growing investor confidence in Citigroup, and I attribute a lot of that to Mike Corbat. The results of Citigroup are improving as well, but that we can't really attribute that to Corbat quite yet. Getting somebody in as CEO and then looking at the one-year uh, mm-hmm. financial results, I don't think that that tells us too much. Another thing that, that I'll note is that Mike Mayo, analyst, bank analyst Mike Mayo, was a pretty harsh critic of banks and has been a very harsh critic of Citigroup in the past, is now sounding like a fan of Citigroup, or at least yeah. a fan of Mike Corbat, mm-hmm. and so I think there's there's something to that too. So Mike Corbat, 
my CEO of the year, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, top CEO of the year. Ooh, saucy. 2013. You saucy that. indeed. <laughs> I don't know about that kind of saucy, but <laughs> you and Corbett, go for it. Um, so so let's let's do this to finish off the show. We do have an email address, WTMI at fool.com. Mm-hmm. We've got our Facebook page, uh, Motley Fool Financial Sector Coverage. So let's invite our viewers and listeners to either email us or go on our Facebook page and let us know who is your favorite CEO of the year or what was the biggest shock to you of 2013. Uh, and that's all we have for this show. Cool. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This here is David the Diamond Lover Hansen. We'll see you next year. We'll see you next year. <laughs> People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.